0: Welcome to a festive look back at the Social Sanctuary Series 1. I'm Harvey Morton, and if you're new around here, well, thank you for listening. Maybe this look back will inspire you to listen to Series 1 of my podcast. We dived into lots of fantastic topics in the first series from fitness, film, and accepting your sexuality, to mental health, and Black Lives Matter, and supporting young people into employment. Maybe you're busy wrapping presents, doing the Christmas food shopping, or maybe even making some mince pies, so hopefully this shorter episode should be good company for you. Let's go right back to episode 1 where I spoke to Beth Blade of Jazzy Bee Fitness about diet shaming on social media and how you can maintain a healthy and positive lifestyle so let's just talk about diets for a second because on social media i notice people diet shaming others all the time whether that's a celebrity that's said that they're doing a diet or or a normal person and that's been picked up on social media and then others are putting them down for the shape or size of their body or telling someone they need to lose weight What do you think to diet shaming to people saying things on social media like you don't need to diet, you're too thin to be dieting or that food choices are ridiculous? What's your opinion on all of that?
1: Uh, I think it's really sad, to be honest. It's extremely unfair. I think it's the people who are going through this, that's their personal journey And I don't think people need to be commenting, um, you know, negatively towards them. You know, people are going through a lot to get to where they are. You know, and I think that people, you know, people should be, we should be bigging each other up and supporting each other with that. And if people aren't doing that, I think they're, you know, something's lacking in their lives and they need to find a new hobby. Yeah, I think it's extremely sad. And I think that um, it's it's unfair. And I don't think any anybody should be doing that to, to each other
0: i agree i think people especially over the last six months have become so critical of others on social media i've had it a lot because i've tried to document experiences i've had visiting other businesses going abroad and people have been critical of my choices and said it's almost like the virus doesn't exist and i just think when did anyone feel like that they could call someone else out on social media for doing something that's their choice and especially with diets something so personal it's it's no one else's business about diets in general do you believe that people need to diet or do you believe that there are other ways of reaching your target weight or or losing weight
1: the word diet in general, I don't, I don't like to use that word at all. I think it's got some lots of negative connotations to it, and I think um, the word diet also often, you know, you think of it as having like a sell-by date, so it, it ends at some point. And obviously, if anything's just going to end at some point, then you're going to revert back to where you were. Um, so I'm a big believer in lifestyle changes and small changes to people's little tweaks to what they're eating their movement and finding exercise they enjoy and getting themselves in a positive mind frame whereby they see food in different ways and you know for fuel for energy and also to enjoy the foods that that they love um, and not have to feel like they're restricting themselves from all the things they enjoy so I think I feel very passionately about yeah people changing the way they eat and the way they live if if that's what they choose to do but doing it in a really healthy sustainable way that they're that they're going to enjoy you know that then can be sustained for the rest of their lives
0: fast forward to episode two and i love chatting to dan bale and joe palmer from open house pictures about the importance of supporting cinemas that's aged well hasn't it with Warner Brothers premiering their entire 2021 slate on streaming next year, who knows what will happen to cinemas? But it's important that we keep them alive. I mean, Joe's most anticipated film of the year was Bond, and we all know what happened there. So
2: Joe's Joe's got a, a special favourite. Under <laughs> Joe, lined up. <laughs> well, it's, well, yeah, because I'm a massive. Um...
3: I'm a massive nerd for James Bond, so I'm gonna already say that's gonna be my favorite film before it's even out. Does that count, or do I have to say when that's be yeah, out?
0: I'm sure that there's a good chance that that'll be true anyway,
3: yeah. So I'll probably say that even though it's not out yet.
0: So, I mean, you mentioned that obviously you've not been to the cinema for a while because of lockdown, and how important is it that? People support cinemas as we come out of lockdown, especially independent cinemas in Sheffield like the Showroom.
3: Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 vital because once they shut, they won't reopen. Um, you know, bigger chains—if they shut the light or if they shut, Sydney will do a big chain. They, they can always come back in, or or another chain will take them over. But with with the likes of the Showroom, so unique and independent, once that. If that goes, that's it. It's gone. It won't come back. So it's more important than ever before. So we try to go to the showroom where we can more often than, you know, Cineworld or, or whatnot. Uh, we should be, we should go more. We, we know we should, but I feel like if, if, if there's a choice between the showroom or Cineworld, we prefer the showroom because it's got that, that the aesthetic when you go in, it's totally different to, a, to Cineworld or The Light or The Odeon. It's just some, so unique. So, we, you're not just supporting the independent films that are being shown there, you're also supporting the independent cinema and all the staff and everything. So we we, we love going there and we try and go there as much as possible. So I, I think it's, it's vital to, yeah. to support independent yeah.
2: cinemas. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's kind of like a niche thing as well, because they show a lot of films that might not have had a, a big release. So you can mm-hmm. kind of use that as well. You could maybe see a few films at Cineworld, the the bigger stuff that you want to see, you know, on a big screen. But but the showroom does a lot of like really niche and interesting films. And like Joe says, I think it's like when you're in, you know, you're in that kind of slightly quainter, more kind of rectory vibe uh, cinema. That's kind of kind of suits the cinemas of sort of the past and that kind of thing. It, it has that different kind of vibe to it, and it's, there's something quite nice about them, kind of that kind of old cinema. Uh, look and feeling and I think it's it's just always great to go to these kind of places you know for the, for the independence and, and supporting uh, places like that I mean there's obviously showroom curzon but even like smaller entities like you're like film riot and 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 places like that where they'll just show films and they just make it an easy accessible and, and affordable way to go see a film and what I love about say the showroom curzon is they're always trying to support young filmmakers too so you know they're always offering these like under twenty five tickets for a fiver or some sort of deal or offer or something like that, and I think again, stuff like that it's bringing people in to see films they might not have ordinarily have seen uh, at the bigger cinemas in in something like that and and again, it's supporting it's supporting themselves so so yeah you, you gotta keep them going.
0: Episode three was one that I was really nervous to put out. I spoke to same-sex wedding photographer Nellie Naylor about wedding photography coming out and accepting your sexuality. I spoke about some of the past experiences I'd had but never shared before. But Nellie was so bubbly and wonderful that it was easy to get under the skin of these important issues. Millions of people in the UK identify themselves as LGBT, yet many of them experience discrimination so frequently. I know that you've been frustrated by businesses which have listed themselves as LGBT-friendly and inclusive um, simply after taking a a quick online course, and I can't believe that that's something you can even do, but what what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, honestly, um, for me, I think I, it was only like about three months ago, actually, like I was seeing this sort of um, LGBT course going up on, on, online, literally, it only took you through like sort of a series of questions. And it was just, had to you have to go through it, you could complete it in about 20 minutes. And I was just like, so shocked, because I was just like, fair enough, like, we should be... Um, teaching this at schools and and about people being themselves and equality like you know that should be taught I think like at an early age but I understand that people might not know about it but what frustrated me is you know you can do this course but then people are putting then a badge on their website saying I'm LGBT inclusive they've never even photographed like a gay wedding in their life you know and they're straight they don't they don't know anything about it For me, I just thought that businesses have been doing it purely for like a sales pitch and like a sales avenue, being like, oh, I think I can get into the the pink pound market. That's what it's called. Um, And I'll just take this online course and put this badge on my website and you know, I'll say that I'm LGBT friendly. Well, you know, that's fair enough. But I just think like, you don't know the first thing about, I guess, being LGBT or the, you know, the struggles that we've had to go through, not even me in my life, even before I was born, like, you know, people even more so struggled um, then than they did now. And for me, I just think it was more of like a marketing sort of like pitch. Um, Yeah. for me, it's not really about that. It's more of like a it's more a, a passion and it's something that I totally understand and yeah it's a niche but I'm not doing it because of the money and um, I'm doing it because it's something that I'm passionate about and I just think like I just can't believe it I mean you know what we'll be doing next we'll, we'll be having a course I guess about you know every other single race and gender and all this sort of thing and you know it's just I think maybe maybe I'm naive to it, but I think people should just know about this sort of stuff already and know how to approach people and know the certain terms Um, that they should say to not offend people.
0: So you're openly gay and do lots to support the LGBT community. Has it been difficult for you to accept yourself and come to terms with your sexuality?
4: Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I guess, um, like, it hasn't been really difficult I think I always knew when I was younger you know that I was gay I mean I always joke like with my mum like one Christmas and stuff like she got me like this big Barbie set thing for Christmas and I remember it was one of like the biggest presents and I saved it till the end of the day and I was just like had so many expectations for this big christmas present and i remember opening it and it was bright pink and it was barbie and it's all sorts and i just cried because i just hated it so much i just thought like that is just like not me um and anyway i think like the next year literally i think my mum got me like a skateboard and like a flame heart and like a, a walkman and things like that and i think then she sort of understood right this girl's a bit different to the rest you know Which is really nice, but I didn't obviously openly sort of come out then. But it wasn't until like university, um, where I feel I don't know about you, but when you sort of go to university, I felt like I could actually be myself and be who I was. Yeah, and I was like around so many new people that I never met, and I thought they don't really know anything about my past. I guess I can be who I've always wanted to be. So literally, like, when I was at uni, like, it was just, you know, I'm Nell, this is me, this is who I am, and I didn't have to explain, and people just totally accepted it. So I sort of told a lot of people at university, like, straight away, and then I actually came out to my mum on an email, I sent it to her work email.
0: Very formal.
4: (laughs) It was very formal, and I just say, you know what, like, I've told... Sort of everyone, like my friends and stuff here, um, and I've saved you to last because you're like the most important people in my life. But and I don't know how to say it, but I knew that she was coming, you see, to come and see me like a week later. So I thought if I send her an email now, like she's got a week to think about it. And um, so, yeah, I sent her that anyway. She does. she literally emailed me back within like five minutes. I think she was just like just about to leave the office, but sent me an email. And she just says, oh, she was just like, I've always known, but I'm so happy. you finally feel comfortable to come out. So I think she's always like known. And then she told my dad and everything. And then when she came to see me like the week after and stuff, we just had like a massive big hug. And she got me a coming out present, which was cute. And we haven't really spoken about it since. And it's just like she's just so sort of my whole family, I guess, have been really understanding And obviously with my partner, Beth, now, like they absolutely love her and it's just perfect, really. So I've been so like lucky. And I know that sort of other people like not so much, you know. I mean, gosh, at school, I used to wear like boys trousers and boys shoes and get bullied for that and things like that. You know, Um, people would always just like shout at me, calling me a lesbian and stuff like that at school, which is like, and I just like brushed it off. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not. And then now I'm like, yeah, okay, fairies, I am. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah that's lovely that it's been such a positive experience I certainly yeah. feel like I, I learned a lot about myself at university thinking about who I went in as and who I left university as almost feel like two completely different people yeah um, totally. yeah you mentioned the bullying as well because in school I was bullied quite severely and and the mm. term gay was used to insult me often as well and I remember people accusing me of sounding gay or or sitting like mm. a gay or acting gay and it was that was really hard for me because it, it made me question why I was different and and I mm. became really self-conscious about everything I was doing I guess mm. the worst it got was like I used to make film and TV show reviews on on YouTube at one stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd not been at secondary school long, but I remember once I posted a review of the TV show Glee, which is obviously not a typical guy <laughs> show. I mean, strictly. I, <laughs> I mean, strictly's back on now, and I'm I'm excited oh, about that. But yeah. i posted this review of of one of my sister's glee dvds and and um we all used to watch it as a family so to me it was normal but i came into Mm. school the next day and the video had been shared everywhere and everyone was calling me gay and then um like imitating me so and and the Worst bit was like in the straw toilet, seeing a photo of myself with gay written on my head was just you know, that was really upsetting. And I've always thought, Well, yeah, it's and and that has really affected me. So I think you know, now I just think, Well, I'm just me and and I don't want to put any labels on that. But you know, at school, it was it was difficult because I I'd started to doubt a lot of things and and kind of everything I was doing I was like sh- should I be doing this or am I walking mm. a bit gay or because to me I was just walking normal and
5: You're just but yourself think, mm. exactly
0: and I think you know people saw that video mm. and and that kind of ruined it for me a bit but I think yeah, it's, it bullies, just,
4: but it's just awful awful bullies isn't it like at school yeah I think sometimes they can see and A weakness, a small weakness maybe in somebody and they're just like animals and it's just awful and I
0: think
4: think even like it probably still happens in schools now I I imagine it probably hasn't changed like as much you know
0: Later in the series on episode 4 I absolutely love talking to Helen Campbell of Coaching by Helen all about making time for what you love and Helen revealed all about her stressful surfing holiday
6: I went on a yoga and surfing holiday and I thought this surfing was going to be incredibly good for me. And I know a lot of people like it. I hated surfing. I absolutely hated it. You know, I can see the benefit if you have that aptitude and you can get out there on the (laughs) waves and you're in a beautiful, I mean, I was in a beautiful country. I was in Sri Lanka and it was absolutely dreamy, but I found the surfing physically uncomfortable I wear contact lenses and I was worried the whole time that they were going to float away. I was not relaxed. I was having all sorts of panic attacks. <laughs> and it was, you know, people talk about surfing to switch off. I was literally experiencing the most anxiety I've ever felt in my life when I was out on that surfboard. Yeah. And so for me, that was just a great example of what one person does to practice self-care and to nurture themselves be the complete opposite of what someone else enjoys and so i went to the surfing school and i said guys um i've heard there's a cookery class available and they said yeah yeah there is um can i join the cookery class so i gave up surfing (laughs) after about four days i don't think i'll ever get back on a surfboard and uh, i started cooking and I continued doing the yoga, and uh, and I had a lovely, lovely week. <laughs> and I learned how to make some really, right. really good, good dal. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's a funny example because I, I was I was such a, a wipeout to use that phrase. Finding out what nourishes you, making time for that practice, and repeating it every day if possible—that's my best self-care tip.
0: Yeah, we, we spoke a lot about um, things that I don't make time for, mm. but sure. And now, a year later, in my calendar, I put every little thing. So even if it's just to go to the gym or see a friend, I put everything in there because then it, it means I've got to do it because mm. the time's already blocked out then.
6: I love before, that.
0: Yeah, before I'd be like, Well, it's not in my calendar and I've not got time for it, so I'll just put it off and not do it. So and I wasn't getting any time away from work. So that that really helped me and and it's interesting that you mentioned things that you've tried that other people love and mm. don't work for you. Meditation was one of those for me. I tried so many different apps and I just thought sitting in a dark room I was just thinking about everything that I should be forgetting rather than actually doing the meditating so that was uh, like a a no-go for me.
6: I love that you tried them though it says so much about you as a person that you tried different apps because other people might say oh, it's not for me without actually experiencing it. And you're coming from this position of experience, which is so great. And I think I'm I'm similar to you in that way. I got up on that surfboard or I tried to uh, several days running, morning and night, and, and I'll give everything a good go before I decide that it's not for me. So that's another a kind of I think another self-care tip is to try things and see what what suits you and maybe avoid making assumptions of of what's going to work and what's not and i think that's always fun when we surprise ourselves by finding a new pastime or a new way of uh, of soothing ourselves
0: on episode 5 I spoke to lovely Laura Jane Rowling, CEO of Youth Employment UK about how employers can support young people into work and we also discussed how she likes to switch off from social media and negative news. And coronavirus um, continues to challenge the way we live and work and young people as as a group face the biggest employment impact, um, also getting a lot of negative press at the moment and those furthest from the labour market are disproportionately affected, widening gaps in those communities. So um, you recently started a drug Youth Employment Charter, what's that all about and how can employers support it?
5: Yeah, you, you're you're right on the challenge that there is for young people and and the impact COVID has. I, I'm often saying it's not just a health crisis; it's an economic and well-being crisis. Coronavirus it's hitting it's hitting all of us on all different fronts, but young people, you know, have had have had. You know, thinking about the school leavers this year, those that would have done their GCSEs and A levels and left, graduated from university. I mean, what a year it's been for those young people, as well as others who've lost jobs or, or lost the support systems around them or lost loved ones. So, so yeah, there is a lot to do. Um, as part of our policy work, we work with um, the Youth Employment Group, and the group has identified that we need to create a thousand opportunities a day to bring youth unemployment back to pre-COVID levels. You know, that's just huge as a challenge for this country. A thousand opportunities a day. I don't want those opportunities just to be you know as I said earlier stacking stacking shelves you know stacking shelves is an important part of our economy but young people need to be able to be developed they need the support systems around them they're gonna they're gonna turn up for the first time to jobs perhaps with very little or no work experience they're going to need perhaps some extra support because they've got additional barriers and mental health anxiety issues so we need employers to be really youth friendly we need employers to think about those young people and think about the quality opportunity they can create, the, the, the life changing opportunity they might create and put those wheels in motion. But for lots of employees, they don't know how to create good quality opportunities. They, they, they don't have the time. They're very busy. Businesses are firefighting at the minute just to survive in, in this economy. So we've created, the Good Youth Employment Charter has always been with us as the Youth Friendly Employer badge has, but we've made them, we've we've revisited them and updated them because of COVID, and we've made them free to access. So any employer, whatever size, who wants to do something to to help a young person or wants to be recognised because they are doing lots of good stuff, can now come onto our website. They can read through the charter, and if they agree to the principles of good employment, then we can give them the Youth Friendly Employer badge, we can give them loads of advice and guidance, we can give them access to free webinars to help them understand how to embed good practice. But also when they've got that badge, young people, you know, like you, Harvey, can identify those employers and know that when you apply for a job, you're going to get an employer who's more inclusive, who's thinking more carefully about young people. And that's, that's kind of the, the approach with the Youth Friendly Employer badge.
0: Yeah, I know that if I saw the Youth Friendly Employer badge, I'd much rather apply to that organisation than one that didn't have that because I've certainly had my fair share of work placements where I've just been making tea and coffee rather than doing what I thought I was there to do or, or where I've been told that I'm going to be put through a training plan and actually then that never happens.
5: I I really limit my access to news. Um, I I, I have to tune in at least once a day to make sure that where I live is not in lockdown. But otherwise, you know, (laughs) I'm... I'm, it's hard to reduce screen time you know I I like I use LinkedIn a lot as you know Harvey and it's important to me to know what other organizations are doing and how we can Mm -hmm. help and link things up it's important that you know to see what's going on in policy the government have probably created you know 20 different policies for young people over the last six months so so I need to stay up to date on what's happening there too so it's very difficult I mean get a puppy and no don't get a puppy. Unless (laughs) Unless you said <laughs> your home is appropriately ready and you can look after it, but we don't, you know, gosh. But that, that stopped my screen time because I, you know, normally I would be, you know, before we got Bonnie um because our dog our existing dog is quite old we weren't doing so much walking with him whereas now we've got bonnie we have to get up at six o'clock in the morning and walk the dog whereas i can't Mm -hmm. so i stopped having a cup of tea with the news in the morning because i have to go out and walk the dog so she has helped with reducing my screen time and just that bit of exercise i'd stopped exercising because the gym was closed and i was working 12 hour days but actually she's helped me kind of get back into a better routine of going for a walk and 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 taking some time out so exercise um and and just be really aware of what you're reading and Mm -hmm. if it's if it's hurting you you know if it's upsetting you stop doing it if it's useful and it's not hurting you then it's okay yeah if it's not useful and it's upsetting you then stop reading it make a cup of tea
0: yeah I, i think that's fantastic advice because sometimes you find that you're reading the news and it is upsetting you but you just do it because you feel like you have to keep up to date with with everything I know I became a bit obsessed with the news like in the early stages of lockdown and I just got to a point where I thought I can't possibly watch any more news
5: <laughs> <laughs> no more breathings
0: In the series one finale, I had a fascinating chat with Chikumo Fiseko, blogger and entrepreneur, all about the story behind starting her businesses, Yuna, Mostly Muffins and her blog too.
7: I initially started off as a baker when I was probably 15-ish. And that started because I wanted to go to the cinema with my friends. And obviously you've heard this story many times. But um, (laughs) as you know, I wanted to go to the cinema and my parents just wouldn't give me the money. And obviously, you know, you always have that one parent that is going to say, yeah. So I kind of went to my dad and said, right, well, dad, mum says yes, if you say yes. Um, Can I go? And then mum was, as dad said, well, go to your mum and get the money off her. And then I went to my mum and I was like, well, dad says yes, if you say yes. Um, And I need a Mm -hmm. tenner. And she was like, well, you can get the money yourself, knowing I didn't have the money. But she'd been teaching me how to bake. So from that, I ended up, she taught me how to bake muffins. And I'd been so proud of what I'd made that I'd then gone to school and I I took them in for my friends to try. So when I went back and said, right, I can go to the cinema, but I've got no money. My friends had then suggested, well, why don't we buy your muffins a muffin a pound? There were at least 10 of us back then. And well, then you could go to the cinema, have food, and you travel and come back with change. So
0: <laughs> that was Not like great. that now, is it? <laughs>
7: exactly. But it was amazing because that's what kind of made me realise, well, first of all, as long as they say yes to me going out, as long as I've got my own money, I never need to worry again. So that's kind of how my journey started with that. And then I was lucky enough to end up consulting for a baking mix company. And that's where um, my next business idea came along. So I used to go to supermarkets, um, the top main and pitch um and we'd always have to take a gluten-free version with the like supermarket owned brands that had gluten in and I just remember thinking this just doesn't smell taste look the way you'd expect a homemade cake to be and obviously coming from a family mm. where people love to bake and people love food I thought well I could do better so the idea had always always been in the back of my mind but um I ended up moving to Belfast just over four years ago And it wasn't until last year when I happened to run into someone that worked for Belfast Met. And, you know, when someone just listens to you and knows what you're passionate about. And he ended up messaging me after saying, I know you said this was like a five year plan and you don't want to start the baking mixes yet. But if I could get you funding, would you be would you be happy to look at it? And I was like, yeah, that's great. So we started working on them and a couple of months, or maybe three months after, I then found out I was being made redundant, so thank God that happened, um, and that's how I then started Njina, um, where I basically create baking mixes just to try and, the, the most sustainable, so the, on average 50% quicker to make, they are an all-in-one mix, because to me, if someone's going to bake, if you want to take the time, yes, to learn what you're going to do, that's fine, I'll be able to talk you through that, and I'm going to have videos and stuff up, but if you just want to be able to bake something and you're a novice, then my mixers basically just need, so for the sponges, you just need the sponge mix, some eggs, and a bit of butter, and that's it. And within, so I've timed myself, the quickest I've ever been able to make them from start to finish, this is including take like taking the top off the, the pack, has been 20 minutes, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah, and that, that means you've got a cake at the end of it in, in 20 minutes as well. So that's how I started doing that. And just in general I've always loved desserts and food. So my life just does revolve around food and content creation. So with a blog side, um, I started the blog probably around the time we were meeting, or just before. And um, I always used to get my friends asking me for advice, but they'd come to me, like I, I was called like Mama Chick. So they'd come to me for like motherly advice, but I'd know people's secrets and know that someone was telling me a secret that involved someone else and if I could just tell everyone both sides of it I could help them but I couldn't. So I thought well this would be a great way to talk about things in general in life that are happening because I've got two cultures behind me and coming from an African household when you go up in Western culture it's difficult to explain to your friends if your parents say no why you can't do something. But at the same time when people were coming to me for advice and it was the same kind of advice, I thought well let me be efficient and write it down so that if they do come for the advice, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to give it to you. I'll talk to them, but this is always going to be a place for them to read it. So it started as kind of just my online diary and ended up being kind of my platform that I've used to talk about the things that matter to me the most. So food and the content side of that, um, mental health has been a huge side of it. Being in an interracial relationship and even just the dating scene itself it's been really great to be able to kind of just open up about life without having to be too open because I think that every time I stop blogging people that I wouldn't ever think would even read the blog get in touch to say oh it really helped me so I've always said I'll carry on yeah because as long as I'm helping one person that's all that matters
0: thank you so much for listening to these festive highlights and a huge thank you to all of my series one guests too Beth, Dan, Joe, Nelly, Helen, LJ, and Chikumo. It blows my mind that people are still listening to my podcast every day... ...and I can't wait to return for Series 2 in February 2021. There were a few people who told me that I'd never be good enough to start a podcast... ...so to have had so much lovely feedback on Series 1 is something that I never thought would be possible... ...despite the pandemic and everything... I've learned so much about myself this year, and this podcast has created so many opportunities for me, so I'm truly grateful to all of you for listening. So up yours to anyone who told me that this podcast would be rubbish, and I'll leave you all to go and watch Love Actually for the hundredth time this year.